Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is March 31st. It is 2017. And if uh, you were here in New York, you wouldn't think it was the springtime. It almost feels like winter once again. Crazy weather, folks. But nevertheless, it's great joining you. Always good to get together at the end of the week. Play that game of catch-up. Look at all the Stuff that's going on, or at least a thin sliver of all the stuff that's going on. Um, and I hope that this program provides you with the information that you're not getting anywhere else. That's that's the mission that I have been on ever since the terror attacks of 9-11. Those of you who are familiar with me know my background. I'm a retired senior special agent of the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. And um, 9-11 was, you know... <laughs> really a result of failures of the immigration system. There's no other way of putting it. <clears throat> Had the immigration system worked, those terrorists could not have entered the country, or at least uh, quite a few of them would not have, and not just 9-11, others as well. We've got a serious problem, and tragically, incredibly, outrageously, both political parties got us into this mess. And today, what we're going to look at are sanctuary cities the latest example of a level of depravity, insanity, and an abject disregard for American lives. Uh, I've never seen this in my life. And we really need to push back. And we're going to get into why and how and what this really means for all of us. Because every time you watch the mainstream media and you listen to the news, you're being lied to. I, I hate to say it. I'm, I'm not some, you know, Looney Tune wing nut. But I can tell you, as an agent who has been involved in numerous investigations into drug trafficking organizations and terrorism uh, situations, you're not getting the right information from the media or from the politicians. And we have got to know what's going on. That is why the Founding Fathers decided that the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of press, essential to democracy was the First Amendment. If you're not informed, then you don't know what needs to be done. We are purposely being given the mushroom treatment in the United States. The mushroom treatment, keep the American people in the dark and feed them a lot of fertilizer. That's exactly what is happening today, the mushroom treatment. And I hope this program is the antidote to that, at least on the immigration issue. And really, the immigration issue impacts virtually every other challenge and threat that America and Americans face in this extremely perilous era. Uh, just want to quickly mention websites. I very much want you to go visit my own personal website of obviously my favorite, and that's michaelcutler.net, <clears throat> C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. I write for capsweb.org. I write for Front Page Magazine. been doing a lot of writing for frontpagemag.com of late. Also, the social contract, and I, I think you'll be very happy to know or at least I'm hoping that you'll be very happy to know that in just a couple of weeks, 
front, uh, I'm sorry, um, the social contract will be publishing their quarterly journal. They publish every uh, three months, four times a year. And the spring edition, which is coming out mid-April, more or less, uh, I have the lead story, a major story. And it will also be the topic of additional materials that I'm working on with the folks that produce the social contract. And the topic that I'm taking a very hard look at is immigration fraud. I call it the lies that kill. The terrorists who attacked our nation were uh, involved with visa fraud, immigration benefit fraud. And ironically, it's that very same topic that I did uh, a hearing about four and a half years before 9-11 because of the terror attacks of 1993. So immigration fraud is critical. And it's one of the major components of the immigration enforcement program that we need to implement to protect America and Americans. So let's take a hard look at what has been going on. You know, uh, I keep saying Senator Sessions because he has been a senator, but Attorney General Jeff Sessions held a news conference just a couple days ago and said that municipalities that implemented sanctuary policies would lose federal funding. And he's right for being upset. Every American should be upset. And the twisted language being used uh, is infuriating, because, again, it's done purposefully. It started with Jimmy Carter. He instructed immigration employees to not use the term illegal alien to describe illegal aliens. I I mean, just think about it. Imagine telling uh, police officers that bank robbery is, is, you know, it's a problem. So let's not call bank robbers bank robbers. Let's call them customers making uh, undocumented withdrawals. Bank robber, right? Unauthorized withdrawals. Uh, That's what we're talking about. You see, our immigration laws were designed to accomplish a couple of very uh, basic and fundamental goals that are easy to comprehend. It's about keeping out aliens who would do harm to us, aliens with dangerous diseases, aliens who are mentally ill or criminals or spies or terrorists or fugitives from justice, aliens who would replace Americans in the workplace, another very important issue. How could anybody who purports to represent the citizens of the United States of America not want to shield American workers from unfair foreign competition. Well, I'll tell you who. Employers who don't give a damn about America or Americans. And there's no shortage of those employers. People say to me, why are you registered as a Democrat, Mike? And I'll tell you, I am registered as a Democrat because I'm a labor guy. I make no bones about it. And I have a bunch of conservative friends and they kind of scratch their head at me sometimes when I talk about the fact that I'm registered as a Democrat. But I can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat because they are not pro-labor. See, the problem is that until Donald Trump, for decades, we had nobody who was pro-labor, pro-American worker. Think of all those politicians who go to the microphones looking down their noses at Americans who, God forbid, get dirt under their fingernails. And they say, oh, well, we need to have that undocumented workforce because they do the work Americans won't do. My father was a construction worker. He was a a tradesman, as he liked to say, plumber by trade. And that's really important. He wasn't uh, like a handyman. And and by the way, there's nothing wrong with anybody who's an honest handyman. There's a place in the universe for all sorts of workers doing all sorts of jobs. 
that my father went through a very lengthy and very serious apprenticeship program, very much like uh, going to school. In fact, he had to go to school to learn some of his, his trade. And so my father's job was to work on construction. He didn't do repair work. He did construction work. And, and because of that, you know, I, I grew up on construction sites. Not unlike what you see with Donald Trump. I grew up with, with American tradesmen, carpenters and bricklayers and iron workers. They're the backbone of America. And when you hear politicians talk about the work Americans won't do, essentially declaring that Americans are either too lazy to do physically demanding jobs and too stupid to do the high-tech jobs, how anti-American is that? How does anyone make those statements and unbelievably get reelected to office? I've spoken about Homer Hickam in the past. If you're not familiar with Homer Hickam, uh, he wrote a wonderful book called The Rocket Boys. It went on to become a movie called October Sky. Homer grew up in Colwood, a coal mining town in West Virginia. His father was a coal miner. And he's a couple of years older than I am. He grew up during the era of Sputnik. And when Sputnik was launched by Russia, October 4th, 1957, I remember that day like yesterday. I was home with a miserable cold. I was in bed when my parents had moved the TV into my room. And I saw the bulletin come across the screen that the Russians had launched a satellite. And I got all excited. My father said, don't get so excited, Mike. Um, they're, they're the enemy. The idea that they could put a satellite into space is worrying because it has military implications. Well, I was a nine-year-old kid. Who could have imagined that? You know, you're kind of naive when you're a kid. Homer Hickam was a little bit older. He was in high school at the time. And he was so fired up at the thought of an artificial satellite whizzing by overhead that he started building rockets. And you find out that by the end of the movie, he becomes a NASA engineer. But what an adventure he had. It was all based on truth. In fact, I had the privilege of a phone conversation with Homer Hickam several years ago, a number of years ago, and he sent me an autographed copy of a book he had written, another book, very articulate guy. But the reason I'm telling you about Homer Hickam was because he was very articulate and the son of a coal miner. About 10 years ago, there was a cave-in at the Sago Mines in West Virginia. Terrible tragedy. And Homer Hickam delivered the eulogy. And I watched him. It was live on TV, and when I heard that he was going to be doing the eulogy, I said, wow, I've got to listen to what he has to say. And he said something that brought tears to my eyes because it made me think of my own father, who died at the age of 57, in part because of his exposure to asbestos at the work sites, but especially during the time that he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. So he employed, from what I've read, over 70,000 American workers building our Navy to help America win the Second World War. My dad uh, was one of those men in that, in that shipyard, one of those workers in the shipyard. Back then it was mostly men, but there were women there too, make no mistake. And so uh, if you look at coal miners and construction workers, hardworking, blue-collar, tough-as-nails Americans, people that the word impossible is not in their vernacular. If you said to my father something was impossible, he would give you that laser-like stare that could stop you in your tracks. He didn't want to hear about anything being impossible. Difficult, maybe. Impossible, no way. As an American, he would puff out his chest and say, we're Americans, we can do anything. I want you to contrast that can-do spirit with what we're seeing today. In fact, the Navy Yard was, it was called can-do. 
That was the whole idea. Give us a challenge, and we'll accept the challenge, and we'll beat that challenge. That's how they were. So when Hickam stood up to talk about those coal miners, again, those guys came from that same magnificent cloth. Americans who, you know, aren't afraid of a hard day's work. And what Hickam said brought tears to my eyes. He said, there's no water holier than the sweat off a man's brow. Pretty strong words. Pretty strong words and and spot on. And then you see what we've done. Corporations have bought and paid for politicians who have done everything in their power to bring in a labor force, both legal and illegal, to drive down wages and supplant Americans in the workplace. Think about it. How many politicians did you hear speak about this during the campaign? Right, American exceptionalism. That's one of those phrases that the right has to say. If you're a Republican, you have to talk about American exceptionalism. And then what do they do? After they talk about American exceptionalism, they then talk about we need to bring in foreign workers to help American lead, help America lead. Well, wait a moment. If you think that we have American exceptionalism, then the world's best and brightest are already here. We call them Americans, you see. So it would lie after lie because the politicians knew where they were getting their money from, where they were getting their bribes from. And they are bribes. And make no mistake about it. Let's not pussyfoot around. I was not allowed as a federal agent, as a federal employee, to take a cup of coffee when I was on duty. And you have politicians getting campaign contributions that are how big? And then Citizens United basically meant that corporations could write checks and the sky was the limit. And as all of that unfolded, increasingly, what did we see? Americans being betrayed by their own government and by the politicians from both sides of the aisle. And then along comes Donald Trump and says, no more. We're going to put America back to work, but it's going to be Americans, American hands that will do the work. And people are out there protesting. And I'm still trying to figure that one out. Americans protesting a president who for the first time in decades, I mean many decades, says it's not enough that America has the jobs, but Americans, Americans must do those jobs. And he wants to go after the H-1B visa program. There was a hard-hitting program on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago about how many Americans had lost their jobs to foreign workers that they had to train if they wanted to get their severance package. I mean, think of the betrayal. And then the politicians have concocted the insanity of insanities, and that, of course, is sanctuary cities. And they said, you know what? We're going to go out there. And, and, and we're going to shield these undocumented immigrants from the evil ICE agents. And by calling them immigrants and saying, we're not going to allow the president to deport the immigrants. Donald Trump uh, isn't trying to deport immigrants. He's trying to get rid of criminal aliens and illegal aliens. But Chuck Schumer gets up there. And this is the same Chuck who was shedding alligator tears or crocodile tears a couple of weeks ago on the refugee issue the same guy who voted for a suspension of the refugee program a year earlier. I don't know who his acting coach is, but he's overpaid because Schumer's a lousy actor. He's a bad actor in more ways than one. But Schumer's now saying, well, we're going to keep the president from deporting the immigrants. 
And, you know, it's interesting because I spoke to a good friend of mine who's over at DHS, and he told me, he says, you know, there was an incident where, that he had read about or someone had told him about where somebody who claims to have been a Holocaust survivor stood up and equated the notion of deporting immigrants with the Nazi regime. And my friend was really worked up, and I said, listen, calm down and understand what's happening. In Nazi Germany, Jews and other minorities were deported from their own country by their own government. That's not what this is about. First of all, even immigrants aren't citizens, and immigrants can become subject to deportation if they commit felonies. But that isn't what we're talking about. What the administration is focused on, and they've made it clear that what they're focused on, is deport criminal, illegal aliens, or aliens who might have been immigrants but then committed felonies, and now they are subject to removal, deportation. It's not the same thing. But you see, the idea that we're seeing with this administration is to use the kind of language that absolutely confounds any rational thought process. You have the speaker of the New York City Council, think of this now, equating the deportation of illegal aliens with ethnic cleansing. Again, the same kind of language that lends itself to the lunacy of comparing the Trump administration with the Third Reich. I'm Jewish. I was named for my grandmother who was slaughtered in Poland because of our religion. Think of how that infuriates me. Because for years I've heard this when I've done debates, when the Chamber of Commerce shows up, when the SEIU show up, you know, they want to equate immigration agents with the SS. You know, the Jack Three in the morning kicking down the doors and ripping children out of the beds of their mothers in the middle of the dead of night in the wintertime. Nonsense. First of all, you should know that you can't enter someone's house even with a warrant before 6 a.m unless you get a nighttime warrant, and I believe I got two of those in my 30-year career because it's extraordinary to get that. Now, that's only one of many issues that we can discuss, but it's all done by lying by the other side, by painting these horror pictures, by vilifying immigration enforcement agents, not unlike the way that the cops were vilified after after the riots that we've seen in the United States. So the immigration agents are the bad guys. And the mayors of sanctuary cities and the governors of the wannabe sanctuary states are standing up heroically, almost making it like the civil rights movement. And by the way, they do compare it to the civil rights movement. We're going to defy the president. We're going to shield those vulnerable, undocumented immigrants. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's lie after lie. You see, If they really wanted to help the illegal aliens in the United States, and if they were really concerned about those aliens being fearful of coming forward, then they should be doing the opposite of what they're doing. Immigration has the authority to give illegal aliens visas and temporary permission and then permanent permission to remain in the United States legally, work legally, bring family members here legally if they're able to help with an ongoing major investigation into narcotics trafficking, terrorism, organized crime, that sort of thing. Do it all the time. It's a quick process. All you do is document the help the person is giving you. 
and eventually that person could be given lawful status. There is no stronger incentive to get someone to come forward and provide information that is essential to make a case. And I wrote about it for my articles that appeared today in, um, you know, in, in, in Front Page magazine. I've, I've got a couple of articles. I've noted it uh, on the website associated with my radio program. Uh, and, and in fact, on March 20th, Front Page magazine published my article, Opponents of Border Security and Immigration Law Enforcement Aid Human Traffickers. And I talked about it last week. Because if you're trying to get the aliens to come forward, then bring them to the immigration office and work with immigration agents. Because once the alien who was smuggled into the United States gives the agents information about the smuggler, then you can begin to build a case against that smuggling organization. And as you do the investigation, you're able to eventually identify, target, and prosecute the smugglers. And I got to tell you, human traffickers are among the most pernicious and disgusting creatures I've ever encountered in my 30 years of law enforcement. They're second only to terrorists and narco-traffickers. Very often, young women who are planning to use the services of a smuggler to enter the United States, let's say by running the Mexican border. You may not know this. And it's disgusting and disturbing to think about it. But very often, young women who are preparing for that dangerous journey start taking birth control pills months before they come. And they do it because they anticipate that they're going to be raped, and not just by one person, but possibly by a whole bunch of these people. Gang rapes is not unusual. When you go along the Arizona border, they have something known as the rape trees, where these dirtbags take the panties off these young girls and throw them up on the trees as a way of saying, hey, we were here. I want you to think about how disgusting, how brutal that is. And when they move people through the desert, if they can't keep up, they leave them there to die. And they find bodies all over the desert. You have no idea. I've been out there. I've been out there a few times. That's what we're talking about. Now, Schumer issues a press release with Gillibrand, the other senator from the state of New York, his protege. Oh, we're going to combat human trafficking. Well, if you want to combat human trafficking, and this is something that even the analysts don't realize when they come on the programs, those few times you might see an analyst, they don't make cases. They never have, never will. They're good at compiling statistics and, and looking at trends and all kinds of stuff. They don't see the world. They don't understand the world the way that an agent who has to make cases does. For an agent, an illegal alien, a law violator is a potential informant, a potential cooperating witness. You need those people to help you put the case together to put the bad guys out of action. This is no different from a narcotics investigation where a New York City police officer or a DEA agent or an FBI agent, whoever, ATF, you make a buy of narcotics from some guy on a street corner, then you arrest that person, and you play let's make a deal. You have what's known as a proffer session. You tell us who gave you the dope. In the case of smuggling rings, you tell the illegal alien, you tell me who brought you here. Well, I don't know the guy's name, but they have a safe house, and there's a bunch of aliens there. Sometimes you go to these safe houses, and you will find people being held hostage, literally, at gunpoint, sometimes many people with guns. Why? because they're holding them for ransom, basically. Basically. They bring them to an area like New York, and then they let these people make a phone call, and they call their family, 
and they tell the family, if you want to bail me out, basically bail me out, get me out of here, you need to come up with 3000 5000 whatever the amount of money is. And sometimes the smugglers decide, you know what, we're going to get more money. So what was supposed to be 5000 becomes 6000 becomes 8000 Sometimes they force these people to work for, for people that are their cohorts. So they never make enough money to pay off the smugglers. So they become indentured servants. They do it with young girls in brothels as well. That's what we're trying to fight. And the illegal alien is relatively inconsequential in the scheme of things in terms of laws violated. Now, they're a threat to our safety because the smuggling groups also bring in criminals and terrorists. Now, understand how important that issue is. In fact, the 9-11 Commission made it very clear, and I quoted this in one of my uh, recent articles for Front Page. Please go to Front Page Magazine. I want you to read the articles. And by the way, if you read the articles at frontpagemag.com, and you like it, please post it on Facebook, post it in social media, send an email to your friends, let them know about this. This is the antidote for the news blackout. The more Americans who understand the level of betrayal, the better we are, because when the elections come, you need to get rid of any politician who supports sanctuary cities. Please understand how critical this is. But when people don't know what's going on, it's easy to be misled. This is a confidence game, a scam. It's three-card Monty on steroid. It's Bernie Madoff on steroid. People are losing their lives as well as their jobs because of all the crazy nonsense that's going on. But if you really want to put these organizations out of business, the, the smuggled alien, unless we identify that person as being a serious criminal, is as much a victim, and in fact, they're treated as victims. And we allow them to work cooperatively so they can stay here if they give us, well, when I say us, my mindset is still back when I was an agent, if they give the agents actionable intelligence, intelligence that they can use to open a successful investigation. But when the politicians and other people convince the illegal aliens that Immigration is waiting for the opportunity to rip their families apart and throw them out of the country. Nobody comes forward. If people don't come forward and cooperate with immigration agents, and if cities make it difficult for immigration agents to locate the aliens they need to arrest to be able to get the intelligence, then ultimately, not only are sanctuary cities shielding illegal aliens from detection, which creates a national security and a public safety nightmare. But they are also, I'm not sure it's unintended, by the way. The other consequence, let's not say unintended, because I wouldn't put anything past these bums. The other consequence of, of sanctuary cities is it shields the alien traffickers, the alien smugglers, because it's that much harder to identify the bad guys, that much harder to open them to successful or, or conduct a successful investigation. And then you see the hypocrisy, and that was the title of one of my uh, my articles. It was just published, uh, in fact, this morning in the wee small hours, Sanctuary Cities Where Hypocrisy Rules. And here I focused on Mayor de Blasio, who blocks immigration from doing its job in the United States, in, 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 in New York. But, but here's the thing that's really fascinating. I was listening to the radio a couple days ago. That's why I came to write this article. And it turned out that de Blasio and other city officials are upset 
because the New York City Police Department is not providing the information to the housing authorities as quickly and as completely as they would like, because under the laws, a criminal cannot live in public housing. Drug traffickers and gang members cannot live in public housing. They can be evicted. They can be excluded. And it's kind of interesting because the word exclusion also appears in immigration laws. An alien seeking entry who belongs to a class of aliens that is supposed to be excluded is an alien who can't be admitted legally. And so the housing laws are similar. There are violations of law that render would-be tenants excludable from public housing. And we heard this from Mike Bloomberg when he was the mayor. You know, he said, well, we don't want people trespassing and wandering around in public housing. If they're there and they don't belong there, we want the police to stop them and ask them, who are you and why are you here? And then arrest them. Well, you know, it's remarkable, that question, who are you and why are you here? That was essentially the question that I used to ask arriving passengers at Kennedy Airport during my first four years uh, with the INS when I was an immigration inspector. Who are you? Why are you here? How long do you plan to stay here? Over and over and over, you ask the same questions. But that was the question. Who are you? Why are you here? So again, the disconnect. Bloomberg said the cops ought to be asking that of people in the public housing projects, but Don't ask anybody about immigration status when they send their kids to school. Don't ask anybody about immigration status when they're arrested. And why not? And now you've got Mayor de Blasio saying that he's willing to give jobs to people who are here and go to jail when they come out of jail. Well, why does he want to give them jobs? Well, I understand why he wants to do that. And maybe something does need to be done because we have a problem with recidivism. People come out of jail. People don't want to hire them. They need money. And soon they've fallen into their old routines of doing the robbery or the burglary or selling dope or stealing cars, and they're back in jail. That's the problem of recidivism. So perhaps, and, you know, I'm not a bleeding heart, trust me on this one, but maybe it makes sense to find some kind of employment for people who've done their time, they've paid their price, and now they're out on the street. But if the person in question is an alien who could be deported, Why on earth would you want that person wandering around concerned that he or she may fall back into his old habits? The law says that such people should be deported from the United States, and why not? Why not? You've come to America, maybe even legally, and then you sold drugs, you you, you burglarized someone's house, you you committed some other terrible crime, you're deported. Goodness, folks, bars have bouncers, you know. You don't behave in the bar. The burly guys come and get you and haul you out and leave you at the sidewalk like yesterday's trash. That's what we're talking about. But the one thing that you're not hearing in the media, and this is really super important, is it's not enough that we simply have immigration agents arrest known criminals. And here's the reason why. Somebody once said that an effective spy is somebody who would not attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. In point of fact, it might even be that waiter or waitress who is the spy. And terrorists are no different. Because in both situations, you have foreign individuals whose goal is to enter the United States one way or the other and embed themselves, to use the terminology of the 9-11 Commission. What does embedding mean? It means hide in plain sight. 
don't call attention to yourself. See, in, in the James Bond movies, the bad guys are easy to spot. The lighting changes, the mood changes, the music changes. Aha, there's the bad guy. In reality, if you're a good spy or a good terrorist, nobody sees you. You're, you're in stealth mode. You're wearing clothing that doesn't stand out. You know, the guy with the $5,000 Armani suit with a half-million-dollar Aston Martin, you know, the James Bond flamboyant. I mean, yeah, there might be some people like that. But mostly, these are people that you walk by them in the street, you don't even pay a second glance to them. Someone who's strikingly good-looking would probably make a lousy spy because people will pay attention to that man or woman. They are mundane. In fact, if you want to see a really excellent movie, and I'm not a big movie guy, Tom Hanks uh, did this film, The Bridge of Spies, about Rudolf Abel, the Russian spy who was arrested in the United States in the 1950s. He was subsequently swapped for Francis Gary Powers, an American U-2 spy plane pilot who was shot down over Russia in 1960, and it caused Khrushchev, who was then the prime minister of Russia, Soviet Union, to cancel a meeting that he had scheduled with President John F. Kennedy. What you may not know, and in the movie they gloss over it pretty quickly, but they make the point, Rudolf Abel, the Russian spy, was not arrested initially and charged with espionage. He was initially arrested and charged with violating the immigration laws. And if you look at the actor who portrays Rudolf Abel, he looks like, to use a Yiddish term, a schmendrick, a nobody, a guy that you wouldn't even think of, very low-key, guy with thick glasses, he's a painter, very quiet, nothing extraordinary, nothing striking about him. He's the kind of guy you see him and you forget him within a minute. That's what we're talking about. We don't know who the bad guys are. Yes, if someone is on a bad guy list, we know he's probably a bad guy. But most of the terrorists who've attacked the United States were not on any known list prior to the attack. I believe it was Mohammed Atta who was, a, who was stopped by police for speeding. I think he was going over 90 miles an hour on a turnpike. And he wasn't arrested. And this was just a couple of days before 9-11. In fact, a couple of the terrorists had, had runs in with police like that, and none of them were arrested. Could you imagine if the ringleader of 9-11 had been arrested when that car stop happened? Without realizing it, 9-11 might have been averted because of this knucklehead speeding. There's something in law enforcement known as randomness. In fact, Michael Chertoff, when he was Secretary of Homeland Security, was trying to justify a program known as VIPER. And it's an acronym, an acronym, not an acronym, it was an acronym. I don't recall specifically what the letters stood for. But what they did was they were stopping big big rig trucks, 18-wheelers on the highway at random, scanning them with devices that measured radiation and that sort of thing. And, and the reason for doing it, as he put it, was to instill the system with a little bit of randomness, that anybody on any day could be yanked aside and be looked at and take a hard look at them. But when you enforce the laws that way, for example, sobriety checkpoints, you find lots of fugitives that wind up in a sobriety checkpoint. It's been estimated that nearly half, or perhaps indeed half, of all of the FBI's 10 most wanted get arrested, not by the FBI, but by a local cop who stops that individual because, you know, he spit on the sidewalk, or he was, blew a red light, or he was speeding on the highway. 
And to that point, I remember one time years ago, I got a call from some friends in the 71st precinct in Brooklyn's uh, tough neighborhood of Crown Heights. A car rolls through a red light. They pull the car over. These cops were anti-crime cops. I did a lot of work with them. In fact, I had a desk in their precinct. I worked hand in glove with the New York City Police Department, which is why when I hear this nonsense about how you can't have immigration cooperate with the police without destroying community policing, it's a huge lie. It's a phenomenal lie. Again, I used to use my authority as an immigration agent to help find informants and cooperators. There's no better example of community policing than that. So they stop this guy for running a red light. He jumps out of the car. He's got dreadlocks down to the middle of his back, heavy West Indian accent, and he hits the police officer in the face. But you've got to know that this cop was huge. He would have made Arnold Schwarzenegger look kind of small by comparison. I forget the guy's name, but he was in his 20s, this big, burly Italian kid. And he absolutely was huge. His arms were bigger than my chest. And he decked this guy. And when the guy hit the ground, a nine millimeter handgun popped out of his waistband. Thankfully, the guy decided he wanted to have a slugfest and not play shoot him up because that cop might have died. So they ran the fingerprints initially, comes back no record. They asked me if I wanted to talk to him. The guy was claiming to have been born in the United States as he put it down south in Chicago. Here's a good statement, down south in Chicago. And with his accent, I thought he was probably Jamaican. I was close. He was from Trinidad, as was his buddy, the two of them. What was interesting was when I had the prints run through the FBI in Washington, they had this fax machine that took forever to transmit fingerprints. In the middle of the night, I got a phone call because the two of them had been wanted by the FBI and the Joint uh, Bank Robbery Task Force, which includes FBI agents and New York City police officers, because they had pulled off a bunch of deadly bank robberies where they killed a bunch of people and wounded other people. They were super violent, which explains this guy's reaction to the cop pulling him over. If he had simply taken the ticket, probably nothing would have happened. But these are sociopaths, okay? And they were about to go on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, the both of them. Got a very nice letter from the FBI from that. Um, But again, how did it happen? Car stop, random. For law enforcement, when you make a stop, you're throwing a hook into a deep ocean. When people run the border, we don't know why they're running the border. We don't know why they're evading the inspections process. Maybe they're just desperate for a job and they don't have enough money, and they know that if they tried to get a visa, they wouldn't get one because everyone would figure out they're probably coming to work illegally. Possible. But what's also possible is that the individual in question might be coming here because he's a fugitive. Maybe he just killed a police officer in another country. Maybe he just raped a little girl. Maybe he set fire to his neighbor's house. Who knows? These stories, I I was dealing with them on a daily basis. And when people know that law enforcement is looking for them, they always figure that if they get across international borders, it makes it more difficult for the long arm of the law to catch up with them. So when someone runs the border, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's not minor. Really, it's not. Now, obviously, we don't have enough agents to round up the tens of millions because we probably have 30 million illegal aliens here. So I would recommend, and I made that recommendation to Senator D'Amato when he was the New York senator when we got that aggravated felon reentry law passed. I said, look, immigration has to focus on the criminals just the way it is. But don't ignore collateral arrests. 
because it, it, it helps to enhance the integrity of the system. You're sending a message to people that even if you've never been arrested in the United States, if you violate the immigration laws, if you are discovered, you're in trouble. Otherwise, you're telling people you can run the border. It's fine. Just don't get arrested. That's crazy. That's crazy. Now we go to sanctuary cities where they're actually harboring and shielding aliens with criminal histories. And the lies they come up with are astonishing. Astonishing. We're not going to allow the president to deport the immigrants. And again, that's nuts. And what they don't look at is how many people get killed by people who shouldn't be here. By the drug dealers, by the terrorists, by the criminals, by the drunk drivers. Again, Donald Trump comes along and says, we're going to go after the sanctuary cities. We're going to go after the criminals. And people are protesting. But look at the language that we hear in the news all the time. People like myself who want the immigration laws enforced should be identified, and I would agree completely, if they said Mike Cutler is pro-enforcement. Say, yep, that works. But that's not what they say. They immediately say Mike Cutler is anti-immigrant. And I'll tell you what, I was a B'nai B'rith president back in college. B'nai B'rith is a Jewish service organization. We did a lot of charitable work. We used to collect money for uh, St. Jude's Hospital, which was at the time being run by uh, Danny Thomas, the tremendous actor. I, I used to love watching Danny Thomas on TV. He came to America as an immigrant. He was broke. And he said, if I can make money, I will open a hospital where people can be treated for free. That was St. Jude's. And we at the B'nai B'rith used to go out there and do everything we could to raise every single penny we could because that's such a brilliant and wonderful thing that Danny Thomas did at St. Jude's Hospital. And so having been a B'nai B'rith president, having gone to Washington to petition Lyndon Johnson, he was the president, to get the Russians to allow refugees to come to America, having taken great pride in admitting refugees into the United States when I was an inspector at the airport because we were vetting them better. And back then, even if we made a mistake, we weren't having refugees stabbing or shooting or pe running people over. The world has changed, and we have to change accordingly to, to make, make sense of what's doing and to be rational and reasonable. But the point of the matter was that and it infuriates me to hear that accusation. But believe it or not, the Anti-Defamation League, which is a, an arm, a component, of the B'nai B'rith, if you look at my name on that website, when they write articles, they identify me as being anti-immigrant. And look at the impression that that provides. Anti-immigrant equals anti-American because the uh, mascot, if you will, of the United States is Lady Liberty, the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, and along comes Mike Cutler, that bum, and he doesn't want the tired or the poor. Not true. I don't want criminals and terrorists coming to America. I also don't want to flood America with so many foreign workers that Americans lose their jobs. I don't want our schools to be so overwhelmed by foreign students that American kids who desperately need an education for a bright future find that the resources aren't there because it's so expensive to teach all these kids, especially when they can't speak English. The Congressional Budget Office did a study that says it costs 20 to 40% more to educate kids who can't speak English. That's what I'm trying to prevent. We can't bring the entire world to the United States. 
But I will tell you, when I do speaking engagements around the United States, and if you folks know of any opportunities, please let me know. But when I do those engagements, lots of people say to me, I know what we need to do. We need to shut down immigration. And, and you want to laugh. It's kind of naive. And I say, well, do you think we could stop airliners from coming to the United States? And because of this false narrative, people say, well, what do airplanes have to do with the Mexican border? Well, the point of the matter is that nearly half of all illegal aliens don't run the border. They come through ports of entry. I've spoken about this frequently. We also have a problem with stowaways coming on ships, which brings me back to another article that I wrote uh, about how uh, Mayor Garcetti, uh, as I wrote in my article of um, March 28th, just three days ago, the title, L.A. Mayor Garcetti's message to smugglers, the coast is clear. Because now what Garcetti is doing in Los Angeles is it's not enough that he's told the LAPD to ignore the immigration status of aliens that they might encounter. I don't even want to know if they're aliens, he, he says to them. But he's also now issuing similar orders to the fire department, and I have no idea why the fire department. I don't think any fireman is going to go running into a burning building or, or, or pry open the door of a burning car and say to the occupant, where's your green card? But it's, again, the optic. It's the image that they're creating that immigration agents are evil. Stay away from them. Don't give them the information so that you can break up the smuggling rings. God forbid. God forbid. This is madness, folks. But um, what he's now doing is he's also telling the harbor police and the, and the airport police, you're not going to cooperate with immigration authorities. And when you look at the amount of narcotics flowing into America through the oceans, the Colombians are still sending submarines up the coast. There was just a submarine that was seized there recently in Florida. There was another story, and I used it in my article, about how one of those subs sank off the west coast of the United States, um, putting it maybe within range of, uh, of California, possibly. They didn't get into how close to the shoreline. But the point of the matter is, our coastline is as much a border as is the Mexican border, as is the Canadian border as is the fact that our airports are international airports. So those, in a very real sense, are part of the border. And when you impede immigration law, I'm sorry, when you impede uh, law enforcement, not work with immigration law enforcement, it's a chilling message. So people say, well, wait a minute, maybe I better not cooperate with immigration, but then maybe I shouldn't even do my job because it looks like anything that I'm going to do can get me in trouble. You know, when you take an oath of office, whether you do it as a member of the military, as a law enforcement officer, or as a politician, they don't say that you get to pick and choose what laws you'd like to enforce. This is not a menu where you have to decide if you want soup or salad or perhaps both. When you take an oath of office, you swear that you will uphold the laws of the United States and protect and defend the Constitution. Not just the parts you like, but the whole deal. And if you can't do that without mental reservation, then find another job. There's nothing wrong with being afraid of the sight of blood, but don't become a surgeon. There's nothing wrong with, with uh, having a, a problem with heights. So then don't become a, a guy that works on the power lines. You know, Take a job that's commensurate with your, with your reality system. So you look at the sanctuary cities. You look at the riots that they're trying to ignite over it, the comparisons of immigration agents with the SS and Donald Trump with the Nazis, and you realize just how toxic and insane this has become. 
The 9-11 Commission was just so crystal clear, so thoroughly crystal clear that um, immigration was the issue. And, and, and that's why when, when you see them do stuff like this, you really want to scream. You say, wait a minute, why in the world would you be impeding investigation of smuggling organizations by making it clear that the, that the illegal aliens shouldn't cooperate? Let me just read this to you. This is on page 61 of the official report, 9-11 and Terrorist Travel. This was written by the agents and attorneys who worked with the commission, and it was published by the government printing office. And I make that point because I want you to understand this is part of an official report. And that report was written to provide guidance to our government and to our officials on all levels of government to try to protect against the next attack. Page 61. Exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. Understand what we're talking about. We just saw a terror attack in England a couple of months earlier in Berlin. We've had attacks here in the United States. But yet, nobody is talking about the 9-11 Commission and how it relates to terrorism uh, or, or, or immigration. And, and so that disconnect leaves us increasingly vulnerable. And you have these politicians stand up and say, I'm a lawyer, and it's against the Constitution to do what Donald Trump wants to do. Well, they need to look at Article 4, Section 4 that guarantees the states that they will be protected against invasion by the federal government and against domestic violence. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what we're talking about. The threat of terrorism is domestic violence, and for terrorists from other countries to come here is nothing short of an invasion. So if they want to spout nonsense, we, the people, need to be smarter than that. And here's my suggestion. If you encounter somebody who says to you that once these people are here, we shouldn't do anything about it, then cut to the chase. If it does not matter how aliens enter the United States, and obviously sanctuary advocates believe that, then ask them flat out, would you be willing to disband the Border Patrol? Would you be willing to do away with the inspection of passengers and cargo arriving on international flights from Asia, from the Middle East, from Africa, from the Caribbean, from Europe, from Latin America? Would you be willing? Because if it doesn't matter how you come here, and if you can get past the Border Patrol, and you don't think any action should be taken, then why do we have a Border Patrol in the first place? This forces your opponent, if there is a debate or an argument, to expose what he or she truly believes in. Ask them, do you want to see America become the first borderless country? And if so, how then do you defend your country against the threat of terrorism? How then do you protect your country and your citizens against transnational criminals? How then do you protect your children 
against the gangs in the schools. See, there is no answer that they can come up with that's rational or reasonable when you make that question clear. The Border Patrol is supposed to stop illegal entry. And when you can listen to Senator Menendez from New Jersey say, oh, that's the wall of hate. And if they put up the wall, it's going to end trade. How will it end trade? The wall isn't supposed to go across ports of entry, but just make certain that all people and cargo go through ports of entry. Yes, jails have tall fences. So does the White House. Does that make the White House a jail? Understand the flawed logic, but it's not really flawed. They know what they're saying. The mistake is being made by the American people who don't seem to want to make a distinction between reality and the nonsense that's being spewed by these characters that are out there doing their thing. Therein lies the problem, you see. And, and, and that's what we need to push back against. So when you have an open border, pro-amnesty, pro-sanctuary city anarchist try to explain why we need to protect the undocumented from immigration, let them explain why Americans and lawful immigrants who are losing their lives or being raped or assaulted or losing their jobs to foreign workers, why don't they need to be protected? Why doesn't the rights of American citizens and lawful immigrants matter at a final point? By blurring the distinction, in fact, eliminating the distinction between aliens who enter the United States illegally or violate the laws once they get here, as compared with lawful immigrants who follow the spirit of the law as well as the letter of the law. And when you say that both are the same, and when you convince people that people who run the border are just like any other immigrant, now you're vilifying lawful immigrants. Now you're creating the notion that an immigrant is a law violator. We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. They didn't violate the law. They're coming in accordance with law to become part of this great tapestry of humanity that we call the United States of America. Think how unfair it is to the lawful immigrants who wait their turn, probably spend a boatload of money on lawyers, and they come here only to have people look askance at them because the politicians and the alleged journalists, so-called, have everybody convinced that the word immigrant is to be associated with law violations. We are dealing in it with, with a lunacy that we need to push back against, folks. The stakes are way too high. And frankly, this is the work all Americans must do. You know, it's really good to catch up with you at the end of the week. I hope you find this program informative and interesting. Please go to the websites that I've talked about, capsweb.org, front page magazine. I'd love for you to see the articles that I've posted recently there. The social contract is coming up soon. Or you can simply go to michaelcutler.net. I've got all my stuff posted there. And uh, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. But please get involved. Pass this information along to as many folks as you can. Become part of my bucket brigade of truth. And please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next week, next time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody.